How to dream, cowboys. Welcome back to the Westworld Podcast, where we recap and review each episode of the hit HBO sci-fi show Westworld. Today we're going to be recapping and reviewing Season 3, Episode 2, The Winter Line, directed by Richard J. Lewis and written by Matthew Pitts and Lisa Joy. As always, I'm James... And I'm right. You said you were going to say my name as a person this week. You said, wait for next week. I was cliffhangering, and now you didn't say it. Okay. But, I mean, when I when I cued you in to say, and I'm Ryan, you know, you, you could have just gone with it instead of putting me on the spot like this. No, I couldn't have. That's not, a, that's not an option for me. So, we were just talking about it, and you said that ratings for episode two what? were bad. No, no, not moving on. Who am I? Uh, you know him better as the musician Little Dicky, my co-host Ryan. Less Jewish, half as talented, and I appreciate your effort. Yeah, and I did say, Westworld did very badly in the ratings. It was 20th, 25th when it was airing live. People watched it more when it was just not going on live. It was They streamed it when they were sitting at home, assumably in quarantine, and it did better overall, but it, it, the, the ratings are bad. It's bad. Yeah, which is too bad because I liked this episode a lot even better than the first one. Did you? I did. I feel differently. Well, that's good, even though, you know, like one of our early iTunes <laughs> reviews said, I don't like that they disagree so much. Yeah, that was one person, and, and it has rung through our brains for years now, plaguing us. But I, I think audio formats slash mediums are better when the two people talking have slightly different opinions. It's the director of this, Richard J. Lewis, he is also comes from person of interest, like many of the people who work on Westworld, but he's also directed many episodes of CSI and Ransom and Family Law. These are all shows that I recognize. I don't recognize anything else that he did. Right. He was near or at the helm of CSI for an extended period of time. He was an executive producer at Person of Interest. He is an executive producer now at Westworld. He's in the mix, so he was tapped on the shoulder to direct this episode, an episode where we went back into the park a little bit, and or at least we thought it was... We thought. We're going to get into it, but we were we thought we were in the park, James. We weren't in the park. And then it was co-written by showrunner Lisa Joy, who needs no introduction. And then also Matthew Pitts, pretty funny name. Hilarious name. I hope he didn't suffer from any body odor in high school. He would have been uh, mercilessly teased for that. But he was J.J. Abrams' assistant on Cloverfield and Star Trek, and now he is a Hollywood writer. Which just goes to show, you put in your time, you do the work, and someday you can be a pro. I think it more shows that, like, if you stand next to J.J. Abrams long enough, you can be a writer on Fringe, Revolution, and then Westworld. And I assume he's good at writing this episode. The writing seemed to be fair enough that Matthew Pitts didn't ruin it. One, with his awful body scent. And two, you know, writing skills. I'm sure he smells great. So if you watched this on HBO now, the episode starts out with a fantastic coronavirus public service announcement. So there's just no escaping that. There is none. I was trying to suspend my disbelief in what the world has become, but the CDC did not allow that. Not one bit. 
But the episode starts properly in Nazi-occupied Italy, war world, as we've been told. Maeve wakes up inside of a derelict building. There's a wounded man tied to a chair. Someone quickly enters the room and Maeve points a gun at his head, but then realizes that it's actually Hector, and she embraces him. It seems like they both get it. I mean, obviously Maeve gets where she is and what she's doing at the moment. She doesn't know how she got there, specifically, but she is awake, in a sense, and Hector seems also awake with her. The team is back together again. Yeah, although this is a kind of a, what a, a sloppy way to start a loop. Like, would you wake up with a dude wounded and tied to your chair? No, and then just, like, completely ignore him. Not one time. I thought one or the two of the time, because, spoiler alert, she's going to wake up in this loop a few times, and I thought one time she would just kind of walk by that dude and shoot him in the head and get over with, but they just ignore him the whole time. I wanted more loop in the loop. Outside, Nazi soldiers are holding some civilians at gunpoint, searching for a critical piece of intel, a map which has been stolen by the resistance. Hector tells Maeve that he's found a way out of the city and has asked her to follow him and gives her suicide pills in case they're caught, which is the first tip-off of, like, what, what, why would a host need a suicide pill? You can't die anyway. Right, and it's also a tip that the loops are happening even sans guess, right? There's no active participant who's a human being in the loop currently happening so they get the cyanide pills she's like uh okay they get out they kind of just walk around not even not even very stealthily they just kind of walk around everybody didn't seem like it should work and then they go over a bridge and then they finally run into some german soldiers who are like wait who are you and then they you know clumsily tell them who they are they get caught But don't worry, guys. Apparently, if you run into a bunch of German soldiers, you can just shove a cyanide pill in their eyes and they all fall over and they're dead. Yeah, that was the first what the fuck moment. Like, if you shoved a cyanide pill into someone's eye, would that work? No. That killed them? I'm sure sure it's not good for you. I mean, it's not great, but it's not going to do what happened, which is the guy being like, oh, I'm murdered. Maeve also tries to use her powers on these soldiers, but they do not work. She was Professor X, not so much anymore, so she doesn't know how she got here. She no longer has her powers. This is not the origin story I signed up for. They climb down from the bridge and into a sleek red roadster, dodging rifle fire the entire time, like some kind of Indiana Jones stuff. Cool red car. Hector says a cool guy line. You know, we can't escape outside of the lap of luxury that you are used to, very much within a, a war movie with spies. They get on out of there, they head on over to an airfield where they're going to escape. At this point, I'm thinking like, uh, okay, so if they take off in a plane, can a plane just leave War World? Is, is there a dome of some kind? I don't think there is. I think if they're in a plane, they can just leave. Maybe this is a good plan until they see that the pilots are both murdered. So not a great plan. We should say Hector sounds a bit different. Instead of having like a a North American Mexican accent, he's got like a European Spanish accent. Right. Not far removed from the first accent, but just enough to understand that he has been placed in uh, another story. He is not Hector anymore. Maeve tells Hector that she has lost her powers, and it's not clear immediately that he understands that he's like, well, you haven't lost your power of seduction on me. 
He's like, oh, oh, yeah, I get it. You're very, you're very sexy. That's not what we're talking about. Hector says they're going to escape this world, right? Very cryptic phrasing. But Maeve has her doubts that they can do that with all the surveillance in the park. He brings her to a nearby cargo plane, which he has set up for them to escape. But once they get on the plane, they realize all the pilots are dead. Hector calls her Isabella, which finally tips it off that, oh, this isn't Hector that I know. This is just a host with his body. Fascist soldiers arrive at the plane. Hector tries to hold them off, but Maeve just casually tells him to just you know, drop the act. Just give him the plans so we can move on. Right. Let's let's get out of the loop, please. This is all very stupid. Your name is Atore, not Hector. Honestly, not even far enough of a jump. Not enough time and effort went into renaming you. Can we all just please move on with our lives? There's a shootout, and Hector is able to take out the two fascists, but he gets shot himself. With his dying breath, he apologizes to Maeve, and she tells him, really, don't worry about it. It's None of fine. this matters. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's cool, dude. We're cool. Anywho, bye. And then she shoots herself in the temple. An age-old move for Maeve. Sending her down back to maintenance purposely. And then we get divergence in the South China Sea. Which we all know is, or at least we pointed out last time, is most likely a plot device letting us know that Rehoboam, the giant brain ball inside Insight Inc., is letting us know that it knows what the world is supposed to be doing and what Bernie is doing in the South China Sea, going back to Westworld right now, is a bit outside what's supposed to be happening. Bernard arrives back in the park, and he gets to the same black church that he had once visited with Ford all the way back in season one. I liked this scene a lot. It was cool to see the old church. And fun fact, this set is real, and it's post-California wildfires. This set was one of the ones that burned down, and the showrunners were like, oh, okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, just show it the way it is super burned down that's an awesome touch i didn't know that that's very cool yeah beneath the park the techs are working on repairing mave she reaches out and tries to grab the hand of one of them who is just kind of weirded out right that was felix i want to say was it yeah she he, she calls him by his last name so i was confused but it was felix yeah mave wakes up and begins to dress and arm herself to escape the lab she spots Hector among the damaged hosts, runs into Sylvester, who immediately calls security on her. And and I was thinking, like, oh, this is the same Sylvester. He's just being a dick. Or, or rather, he's doing his job properly. <laughs> Lutz walking away and not talking to her was a little odd. You could maybe say that he would, was trying to, like, make some time for her to do whatever she wants to do because he remembers her and likes her. <laughs> and I, And then you saw... Sylvester, and you're like, okay, well, this guy was kind of over the shit from the very beginning. Never really on board. Yeah, you're right. So this was a bit on brand for both of them, but still a little odd. Security shows up and trains their rifles on Maeve. She's about to take one of the drills and commit suicide. And, and to me, this was actually a pretty harrowing part of the episode. I was like, damn, yeah, like if she is never really going to be able to escape the park, then yeah, just fuck it, which seemed to be her attitude. I didn't like this part. I didn't like her giving up. Perhaps I'm just supposed to understand. Like, I just, I wasn't deep enough in understanding the emotional moment in time. Like, how far down the rabbit hole of giving up she was. Apparently, she was rock bottom. She was about to stick a drill up her nose. But I wanted her, maybe I was just mischaracterizing her for my own benefit. Maybe I was projecting my own 
ego upon the situation, but I didn't feel like she should be trying to kill herself in this moment. But she did, obviously. It gets thwarted, but that's exactly what she was trying to do. That's right. Just before she can do it, Lee arrives on the scene, talks her way out of it, just explains that, yeah, this is part of her narrative. She must have turned on accidentally. Don't shoot up company property. And he sends security away. Maeve is surprised to see him, and he reveals that, yes, while he was critically wounded at the end of season two, he was not killed. He now walks with a limp, and he has very expensive surgery bills that he needs to pay off, which is why he continues to work for Delos, even though they're clearly an evil company. Lee is back to provide us a relentless fucking experience, as were his own words back in season two. He, like you said, has a limp. He's walking around with crutches. They didn't fire him, which is... Right, for attacking security forces. Right, hard to imagine. Maeve questions why he would put her back into the park, and he answers that War World is the closest park to the Forge, and he states his intention to reunite her with her daughter inside of the Forge. Which was also a reminder to the audience that that's what she wants. Honestly, I didn't think in this moment that that is what she wanted. I I thought last season that she was happy enough with her daughter entering the Forge. She got her there, and that was her job over. And actually, I think that informs more the moment in time where she was about to kill herself with a drill. Like, she kind of already did what she was supposed to do. She saved her daughter from imminent death, and her job is done here. I'm back in a loop. Who really cares? I'm done. But... Lee gives her the opportunity, like, you can join her in the forge if you really want to. And Maeve being like, oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. I'm, yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly what I want. And I was like, is it, though? I guess it is. I mean, obviously it is, but all right, right on. Bernard makes his way to the basement of Ford's fake childhood home. There he finds yet another secret door inside the secret basement, which leads to a secret hallway. And behind one of those doors... Bernard finds several unused copies of himself, as well as the dead body of Ashley Stubbs, who has shot himself in the head. I was watching with closed captions, and it said, eerie music intensifies. I was like, yeah, that is that was very much what this moment is. This is where Teresa died, which made me sad as we walked in here. Very horror movie-like, this scene. It was scary to watch. You didn't know what was about to come around the next corner when you saw the dead Bernie bots. You were both sad and horrified. And also, it was too dark. The actual scene was was too dark to be able to see most things. I got an awful flashback of the Long Night episode of Game of Thrones where I couldn't see or understand anything that was happening, which is interesting for something that happens in the future. But yeah, Stubbs is there. He has shot himself in the face, in the back of the head more specifically. And then he wakes up, kind of, and... We are led to believe what we predicted last season, which is Stubbs is a host. Yes, Stubbs has been a host the whole time. Ryan called this back in season one, but, you know, that fact is a bit undercut by Stubbs himself when he goes like, Adoy! I was, of course I was a host. Yeah. I mean, a few things. One, this hemsworth's acting in this moment was really great he made some very bold choices that i think panned out very well also 
people on the internet, some people, were getting a bit of whiplash here who didn't think that Stubbs was a host and then this turned around. I, I don't know what that experience is like. We watch this show too closely because we do a podcast about it and take diligent notes and watch the episodes multiple times. So from our perspective, and I hope our audience's perspective, we kind of understood, especially when he was saying bye to Hale slash Dolores as Hale getting on the boat that he totally knew it was Dolores. And at least that's what his eyes were saying. But a lot of people got whiplash in this moment. Like what? Stubbs the host? And I was like, yeah, I was on Stubbs' side. I was like, uh, yeah, duh. Stubb tells the story about how he tried to commit suicide by shooting at the bomb and planted his neck, but he accidentally missed. Bernard takes him out and repairs him. And Stubb goes on to explain that the last job Ford programmed him to have was to protect Bernard and see him safely out of the park. And after that was finished, you know, okay, my life's work is over. I'll kill myself. Similar to Maeve. Yeah, right. And he also mentions he wasn't wired up to answer the big questions like Bernie was. He had a job and he completed said job so he can off himself and everything's fine. Until you came back, Bernard, to the one place you're not supposed to be. So I guess I'm back in commission. What do you need help with, dude? Bernard tells Stubbs that he's returned to the park in order to enlist the help of Maeve and her special host-controlling powers in order to defeat Dolores. There's a robot superhero here, and I need to go get her to beat another robot superhero. Supervillain. Yeah. But now that Bernard is back in the park, Stubbs has a renewed purpose, and... He agrees to help him rescue Maeve so long as that he'll escape the park afterwards. He also dramatically spits up a bullet. Another amazing acting moment from Luke Hemsworth. And I am on board for the Stubbs and Birdie tag team. Yeah, I gotta say, Ashley Stubbs, who was kind of a vanilla, boring character in season one, season two, who you and I the entire time was like, when is he gonna do something? Like... I don't know, Hemsworth really came to life in this episode, and the character's, like, way more likable now. Likable. I'm rooting for him. I feel like when I go back and rewatch the Elsie and Stubbs scenes from the first season, whether they'll be informed differently, whether I'll like him more from the very beginning, knowing that he has a job he can't tell anybody about. Ford knows, obviously, because Ford programmed him to do this. Just... I wonder with the context if he's a more likable character in retrospect, but I'll tell you right now, like I just said, uh, I hope Bernie and Stubbs are a force for longer than a few episodes because I'm down for this pairing. Maeve and Hector begin their loop again in War World, but this time Maeve starts things out a little quicker. She tries to get Hector to follow her out of the park once they've escaped the city, but he tells her that he cannot abandon the cause of the resistance, and so she tearfully says her goodbye. She's driving the red sports car this time. Like you said, she tried her very best to shake Hector from the loop, but it just did not work. So she was like, okay, dude, well, I'm walking into the woods. Peace. In the forest, she finds Lee, who has brought two horses with him, which they ride back to the Westworld Mesa. Yeah, but a doom buggy's coming, dude. Yeah, at the same time, Bernard and Stubbs are also returning to the main park facility where they encounter some drones who don't pay them any mind. And they begin to search for Maeve among the decommissioned hosts beneath the main facility. Cold storage, always creepy, always weird. They find Maeve, which doesn't make sense because now Maeve is in two places. And then they go around to the back of Maeve's head and her brain ball has been forcefully removed 
so we know something odd is up. Maeve and Lee arrive at the forge. Lee thought that Maeve would know how to open the door again, but that's when they both realized that it was actually Dolores who did it. Lee begins to act suspiciously as if he is plying Maeve for information. Maeve voices the, her suspicions, but Lee says that he's only checking to see if she still trusts him because he has fallen in love with her. But Maeve immediately sees through this act and realizes that he is only a replication and not the real Lee, a revelation which begins to make him glitch out and, and skip his words. Another scene that is too dark. They should have turned up the brightness. How dare them? When... Maeve figures out that Lee Sizemore is not Lee Sizemore and she is within a reality that is not exactly what it seems. The aspect ratio changes, letting us know that she has figured it out. Lee tries to kiss Maeve. Lee says Maeve changed him to be a better man and he tries to kiss her and I'm like, oh, gross, what? No, this is not Maeve. This is not Lee. I don't understand this. And then Maeve's like, oh, we're not, we're in a... This isn't real. I'm like, oh, thank God this isn't real. And then she gives Lee a great sending off line, which is, Lee Sizemore died a good man. So sad that Lee is actually dead. Happy that he got at least one more episode. I mean, he was at the premiere, so I assumed he'd be in more than one episode. But it seems like he probably might just be in one episode this season. This one in particular and so I'm going to miss him as a character, but we got one more episode with him than we thought we ever would. Lee continues to insist that it is the real him, but he starts to break down even more as the world around them starts to deteriorate as well. Bernard, back in the real world, tells Stubbs that he needs to go to a terminal so he can plug himself into the mainframe to search for Maeve's core. Meanwhile, back in the Matrix, Maeve is trying to think of a way to escape. Lee still isn't buying into it and thinks that everything is real. Maeve continues to try to convince him, and she is confident that she can exploit the weaknesses in this system programmed by flawed humans. Two techs show up in Lee's office, asking why he's brought a host up here. Maeve is able to get these two AI people to start an endless argument by asking them what is the square root of negative one. So did the show writers not see the Rick and Morty episode M. Night Shyamalan's from 2014 when that exact line was used to do almost this exact thing? Yeah, interesting. That's what I was thinking of as well. I mean, Maeve is creating this whole scenario in which she can get out. She basically techno babbles her way into a way that she can get out of this simulation by saying that the people who coded this plagiarized themselves and left a, a back door by the way there's a bit of a dong alert in the middle of this there's a hashtag dong in this episode with just a random host behind a pane of glass but i it's important to note that it did happen hashtag dong watch two dongs 2020 exactly we are we're just racking them up at this point we're going dong for dong <laughs> we are these dongs will will never stop and we will never stop keeping track of them and all throughout this i'm just still thinking like oh man Stubbs and bernie bernie and Stubbs. Stubbs is funny when he's not lame. This argument about the square of root one begins to lag the simulation, which gives Maeve an idea on how to exploit this weakness further. Back in the real world, Stubbs and Bernard arrive in what appears to be medieval world from the movie, the Westworld movie, the 1970s version. In one room, two techs are working on Drogon from Game of Thrones, and one tech claims to be attempting to sell him online. The two techs are Dave and Dan, the creators of Game of Thrones. 
They are no strangers to butchering George R. R. Martin's characters, so this is very on brand for them to try to murder <laughs> Drogon. I don't even think that completely or hold that much vitriol for them as much as other people do for season eight. I just thought that was a solid jab and solid jabs deserve to be thrown. Also, I barely saw the dragon on the first time through the scene because it was so goddamn dark. Why was it so dark? I'm happy that we've made it to medieval world. That's pretty cool. That uh, thing from the movies made it back into the show. Makes me wonder if we're going to see Roman world at some point. I don't really care because that's the lamest of the three from the movies. But it is. It, it, it was cool to see Medieval World, which did had a pretty important part in the original film. We will have a discussion about it at the end, but we now know five out of the six parks. Uh, some questions that people perhaps don't even care about anymore are being answered. But the great news is, I care about it. So, celebrate for me. Bernard finds a console in one of the rooms and begins to look for Maeve, but is unable to locate her. Having failed at that task... He then wants to attempt to scan himself using the Parks tablets, since he fears his ability to construct his own tablet was compromised when he was originally programmed by Dolores. Right. If she made him, she perhaps could have made him in a way where he can't find exactly what she doesn't want him to find. There is a medieval world dude in the background playing the Westworld theme song on a lute, which is a lot of fun. Stubbs fights off some dudes... And perhaps we can just take this aside. The guards in the park, who proved themselves to be the worst guards imaginable in season two, running forward at a fortress, taking no cover and getting slaughtered, still awful. I I know the scene was specific because they wanted Luke Hemsworth to pick up an axe like his brother Thor does and run at a bunch of guards and chase them. And it's funny and I get that. But they're all holding guns. What is going on? Why don't they shoot him? Also, I'm surprised that any guards who were around during Stubbs' tenure have survived this long and would want to continue their jobs at Delos, seeing as how so many of their co-workers were mercilessly killed by Dolores. They even said at some point, they were like, Stubbs, where have you been? And he was like, no, don't worry about it. And then they were like, wait, that's Bernard Lowe, the person who made those 113 people die. Wow, this is a extracurricular situation. And Stubbs is like, yeah, don't worry about that. I got this all under control. Also, I have this axe and I'm going to chase you comically. Bernard is able to recall memories of Dolores changing the coordinates of the forge, as well as some of the work that she had been doing outside of the park on him. So Robot Heaven, where Maeve's daughter is, is now hidden somewhere, different from where it was originally hidden. Hidden well enough where Dolores is the only being who knows exactly where it is, and whoever is putting Maeve through the exercises that she is going through right now is trying to find out where said forge is, but Maeve is not going to be very helpful because, again, Dolores is the only person slash calling her a person is i always by accident call her a person the only robot who knows where it is Maeve wakes up in her loop in world world meanwhile at the fake matrix hq all of the techs seem to be having the same argument about the square root of negative one flipping the script Maeve turns hector into the gestapo by turning over the map in his pocket but then before he can be executed Maeve reveals that actually all of the hosts have maps in their pockets, including the commander. So they're all traitors and they all have to kill one another. 
They all begin shooting each other, but lo and behold, as the system overloads, Maeve has her powers back. She freezes everything, sees Lee off to the side, and is like, oh no, Lee is frozen too. And then Lee has a great line where he's like, I'm not frozen, I'm just scared shitless, as she flicks a bullet away from his face like Quicksilver did in the X-Men movies, but that's fine. And he says, you crippled the simulation, now what? And they need to find out where they really are. In all of the chaos, Maeve is able to access the main park database where she can see security footage of the real world where her core is being stored. So she hacks a maintenance droid and says farewell to Lee and is able to escape from the Matrix inside of the droid who now is holding her core. I believe her farewell to Lee is our farewell to Lee as well. And it is a sad and emotional one. But as I said before, we got one more than we probably deserved. So we just have to be good with what we got. Yeah, excellent work by Lee in this episode. Uh, He's always fun to have him on screen. Sad to see him go. But this was a really like a nice little send off adventure for him and Maeve, who did turn out to be a great duo once they paired them up in season two. Simon Quarterman. You did a great job. I'm absolutely sure you're listening to this. Unfortunately, the maintenance droid is completely shot to pieces before it can escape wherever it's being held with Maeve's core. A bit more emotional than I thought the scene was going to be when it first started. The droid's name was Harriet, a very square, boxy droid. And Well, to me, it kind of looks like the, the robot that Lando Calrissian is having sex with in the Solo movie. I did not see the Solo movie, so I'm going to take okay. your word for it. Don't, just don't see it then. <laughs> done and done. Bernard and Stubbs make their way to the beach, and Bernard is about to leave the park on a rowboat and find... The guy from the last episode whose name escapes me and also escaped me when I was making these notes. (laughs) His name is Liam Dempsey Jr., played by John Gallagher. We see a still shot of Liam Dempsey Jr.'s park profile. He is worth $315 billion, which is a lot of dollars. He has been to the park 17 times. He is a black hat. He falls under the quote-unquote golden gunslinger reward level. And, you know, he's been there 17 times. So, one, how has he not met Dolores? That is a tough, tough pill to swallow. And two, it also says his guest completion rate, quote unquote, is 32%, which we don't know exactly if that means, like, he has completed 32% of the quests or his scan of his brain is 32%. I assume it's the quests because if he's been there 17 times, that should be enough times to brain scan him. So he is in a library somewhere, right? Having completed his life's work again, Stubbs is about to kill himself when Bernard, on the fly, reprograms him so that now his duty is to protect and serve Bernard no matter where he goes and to not kill himself. Stubbs says a line that I very much enjoyed, which was, you wanted my help, you could just ask for it. And I was like, yeah, Stubbs and Bernie, at it again. Maeve wakes up, apparently in the real world this time. She encounters Serac, the man behind the Rehoboam supercomputer, and he attempts to enlist Maeve in the battle against Dolores. Maeve immediately refuses and attempts to attack Serac, but he freezes her, all her motor functions, 
and states his intention to have this conversation again in the future where hopefully he can convince her. As she wakes up, she is looking at the white and black circle, not the actual one that we see in the middle of scenes letting us know divergences, but one nonetheless. In Sirach's house, he welcomes her to his world, the real world. So the idea is Sirach was poking around and looking at Maeve's memories, trying to figure out where the Valley Beyond and Forge was, but she showed him that she can reprogram all that and she can escape a simulation. So he's like, well, if she can do that, she's probably pretty useful in the real world with my main problem, which is the ultimate divergence, which is Dolores Abernathy. And this is as close to another superhero that I can find to help me win this war, a war that he says has already been lost. He claims our history is chaos, but we've changed that. History has an author now, something that he helped build as the author. It's not him exactly, it's Rehoboam. And that all worked out until someone or something that he couldn't predict was occurring, which is Dolores, and he wants Maeve to kill her. So a few things about this scene right off the bat. One, he's eating an apple like a psychopath, like with a with like a knife, only psychopaths eat apples like that. And also, it's a very straightforward Garden of Eden offering Maeve a proposition while eating an apple kind of thing. Again, like a straight psycho because he has a knife. It's just we just bite it with your mouth. Anyway, so she tries to stab him, gets frozen by him, which was really sad. Like she just tried to commit suicide. And now she's frozen and not all-powerful anymore outside the park where she used to be all-powerful. And so she's basically a slave again. And it's sad. It made me sad. Yeah, this was the only scene I didn't really love. The guy who played Serac is fine. I just I found the whole interaction to be pretty cheesy. It's like, oh, I want you to help take down the main character who's up to some stuff. It, it just it, it seemed a little, you know, arch and corny. I liked this scene a bit more than I liked the stuff inside the park. You know, we wanted to go back to the park. I think a lot of people felt very comfortable once the park was reintroduced, even though it was inside of a simulation and not exactly real. But as the park was introduced, they were like, okay, this is the warm blanket that I recall. This is an L.A. 2050 where the world is run by a giant brain ball. I can understand the smaller, more compact version of this where we're back in the park. But honestly, I like the real world more than the park at this point. And I think it's a question of, do you like Dolores' story two episodes in more than Maeve's story? And it's where I kind of got I got weirded out because for two seasons, I've been hard team Maeve. I think a lot of people have been especially in season two where Dolores was very unlikable for me if you liked her that's very much your prerogative but I didn't she was kind of unlikable for me and then in one episode in season three she's likable again a super spy in the real world in 2050 trying to do a massive genocide of the human race which I very much understand is not exactly something you're supposed to be rooting for but they they are figuring out how we're supposed to be rooting for that and I don't know who, whose story are, do you like more through two episodes? You know, I was actually really happy to be back in the park. I get the feeling since all the characters are leaving that this is the most park action we're going to get this season, which is fine because they're taking it into a new direction. But, you know, even the very little we saw of Medieval World, it was cool to just have that confirmed. 
yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I am happy to get back to the Dolores plot. I, I, I am a little bit sad to see that there's probably not going to be too much more Westworld in Westworld. But, I mean, that's how you reinvent yourself and evolve. So I'm for it. Still no Ed Harris. We are now two episodes in. We are 25% done with season three. And there's no Man in Black, no Ed Harris yet. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think maybe, you know, whatever happened to him at the end of season two when he seemed to be far into the future and it seemed like maybe he was a host. But, uh, you know, perhaps we'll see him again or we won't or we'll see him again in the far-flung future of season five. Sad times. If we get season five, which is, it's I know, a blasphemous thing to say. But, you know, again, the showrunners of the show just got a bunch of money from Amazon. Not a lot of people are watching Westworld on Sunday nights at 9 p.m., even if they're stuck in their house. I hope we get season four, five, and six. I hope we get a bunch of seasons. But that is not a given at this point. Either way, I want the Man in Black back. I want William's storyline. I want to see how he fits into this weird world that they're setting up i mean it feels like last episode was dolores slash evan rachel woods emmy episode right the one that they're going to submit for her emmy this and the second episode is tandy newton's emmy episode and then it looks like next week i know you don't watch the next week ons but it looks like next week is tessa thompson's emmy episode but i want to see where the man in black fits into this puzzle that they have created for us Uh, besides that i have another question to ask you which is This is another episode where we're talking about a simulation. In fact, we are living within a simulation for most of this episode. So it, I think, begs the question, is Serac even a real person? Is he a physical manifestation of Rehoboam that is seeing divergences and trying to take care of them? Is the real world also a simulation? Is everybody a robot? Yeah, well, we kind of already got the simulation within a simulation, right? She was, like, in the Matrix, in the park, right? But maybe that's going to be a theme, right? Wheels within wheels. How many wheels are running simultaneously? Is every level think that they're the top level, but there really is no top and everything is fake? It, it, It feels like that's a very possible thing that's occurring, and I don't know exactly how I feel about it. So yeah, I'm pretty excited for next episode. I know that you're probably perusing the Reddits. Is there any crazy theories you've got to pitch? So yeah, I mean, we just talked about one. The the biggest theory is the overarching show, perhaps big twist on the entire show. If everyone's a robot, then perhaps. Uh, I also was seeing theories about Caleb. We assumed last episode where he said that he got shot in the head that someone beat the guard shooting him in the head, that uh, he got shot in the head at war. There was a theory online where perhaps he shot himself in the head. It was attempted suicide, and he might be a part of a program, the one that they were talking about, that was more intricate than once understood, and he was a uh, human to host implants, and he's an actual robot. It speaks to the everyone as a robot kind of thing, but is Caleb an actual human being? I mean, every time he wakes up is kind of like Dolores waking up in season one. And by kind of, I mean like exactly. So that was, that's been knocking around the internet. Also a a little fun fact for you on the next ons, we see Charlotte Hale tucking in her son. The internet was like, she'd be a bad mom. And I was like, well, I mean, probably, but I'm still sad that she's dead and that her son is left alone with a robot version of her. 
So her name's Charlotte Hale. And a fun fact, her son's actual name is Nathan Hale. Wow. Give me liberty or give me death. Right. I regret I only have but one life to lose for my country. P.S. And by the way, Nathan Hale, a bit more important to James and I than most people. He is the official state hero of Connecticut, our home state. And now Nathan Hale, the, the baby person, has no real mom. And even if Charlotte Hale would have been a bad mom, which is very plausible because she wasn't a great lady. Uh, I'm sad about the Nathan Hale not having a real mom. So I had an interesting idea that I wanted to bring up to you live on the podcast to get your unfiltered reaction. Shit. All right. Tell me about it. So we've been getting a little bit of action on Patreon really quick. Uh, we should shout out our fantastic patrons because they're the ones who are helping to host this audio and all that. So thank you very much to... No, no, keep going, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, just like, I'm not really familiar with the Patreon website, so I'm trying to figure out where I can see this. I can see it. It's Baca Man, Carol Andreas, Craig, Day 11 Westworld, John Jurors, Lee, and Major Woody. Thank you for your dollars. So, what we are going to begin doing is we are going to make some bonus content. Okay. Episodes exclusively for our patrons, which you can get. How about. Every week, if you just pitch in $1 to our Patreon, that's a low bar to entry. You can get a bonus episode. These won't necessarily have to do with Westworld. I'm pitching to Ryan right now a weekly movie club just for our patrons. Wow. That's, you're signing me up for a whole lot of work live. Uh, okay. A movie club every week. Okay. Or every other week. Or you can also edit around this if you don't like the idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to edit around this. How dare you? Yeah, I, I think patrons who de- who are giving us money very much deserve more than they are currently getting. And I think the, the direction you're going in is the right one. Every week might be tough, but I agree with your sentiment. So... Bi-weekly movie club. Yeah. You know, or may- maybe if, if it's not a movie club and we don't have time for a movie, maybe we just talk for 10 minutes about our lives. Or a movie club. Or a movie club. I'm going to leave that exact amount of time. I'm not <laughs> speeding that one up at all. We got some Twitter. We got one tweet. We got a twat. One of them. From very lovely LJ at Lauren. She said, I'm more bummed about Hector and Lee than I thought I would be. I miss Stubbs. Also, Westworld, The Raj, Shogun World, War World, there seems to be a medieval park as well, the Game of Thrones park, lol. Why isn't there an Egypt park? I'd like that. So yeah, six worlds, Westworld, Shogun World, War World, Medieval World, and I don't think it's Game of Thrones World, I think that was just a fun little thing that they added in there, but it is Medieval World like the movie, and The Raj. So there's only one more world we don't know about. What do you think that world is? If you're going by the movies, it could be Roman World, but Roman World is kind of lame, so maybe they'll replace it. Yeah, maybe it's just like the future world, but it's the real world. Or maybe they just, you know, don't take the easy way out. And I don't know, if I had to make one, I would say like American Revolution World? Revolution World? I don't know. That'd just be neat. I would be. I would go to that world. There's a, there's a whole Assassin's Creed game that's just that. I love that game. Pirate World. I take it back. Pirate World. Pirate World would be pretty sexy. Although, we could also go to Space World if we want to apply the sequels to the original movie. Mm, The Final Frontier. 
Which is interesting. At the Disney parks, they do something similar to like so that there's like a, a Star Wars ride where they lock you into a spaceship for a week, like you're on a week long space journey and you can't get out. And if you look out the window, it's like you're in space. That seems like a space prison. It is, yeah. Well, it's like a, yeah, space space Disney prison. It's space Disney prison. I would say, like, if I can bring a sleeping bag, sign me up. A sleeping bag and like some f- food, maybe like a week's worth of food. I think I'm in like a I'm maybe in a Disney prison right now. Actually, <laughs> in real life, I have one more thing I want to run by you, James. Yes. Okay, there's a Reddit user, and her name, or his name, is Ruby Snow, and they wrote a comment that I really liked, and I'm just going to read it to you and then ask you a question at the end. Are you prepared for what I'm about to do? I am ready. Okay, great. So, Sorak doesn't build hosts. Insight slash Sorak is the, quote-unquote, other interest that the Delos company are working with, which Lee and Teresa talk about in Season 1. Maeve has an available body back in Livestock, and since Sorak has partnered with Delos, they gave Maeve to him to help deal with Dolores, since she would, would interfere with their plans. He is responsible for their Hoboam technology, in which all the guests and the world information would be downloaded into to run within a simulation. Westworld is now testing Phase 2, a more safer simulation that would not require host bodies or guest bodies. Caleb is the human simulation trial. He was shot during a crime gone wrong scenario. I don't I, I hope, I don't think it's that anymore. I think it's actually the suicide thing, but that's, well, anyway. And in return for his freedom, he accepted to have his quote-unquote brain uploaded into a simulation slash host. His friend, military, and backstory are his cornerstone. The therapy he subscribed to is a sort of treatment for his brain not to reject the simulation. He doesn't do personals because like a host, he was programmed not to hurt people. So... Off the top of your head, what are your vibes on that paragraph? Hmm. Well, I don't want to speculate too much because I don't want to step on my own toes and get owned. Mm. Yeah, don't get owned. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm interested in that kind of conspiracy idea. I'm also interested in there being more to stubs than meets the eye that possibly... So, like, what Robert Ford is just gone are we just gonna accept that or does he still have machinations in play he stubs is like oh robert ford the last thing he programmed me was to protect you bernard and bernard just accepted that sight unseen he ran a diagnostic on him and not on stubs i think i like the version of the show better where we get to the end and ford was still the author of history like sirak claims that rehoboam is now the author of history and if it turns out that Robert Ford was just a pawn in a very large game that he didn't, perhaps I, whether he knew about it or not, I think I'd be more satisfied with he knew all of it and his plans were specific to the reality of his situation. So I, I want Anthony Hopkins to have a cameo and maybe even not in season three, like season five or six to be like, see, I told you I, I made it all happen. Yeah, that would be pretty sweet. I hope, you know, like you said, he doesn't seem to be the involved yet. But I hope we get some Robert Ford, even if it's just a flashback in this season. But, I mean, he could always come back in whatever is the final season and be like, Haha, it happened according to my plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any version, if he's if Anthony Hopkins is on screen at all, I think that's a win for both the audience and the show within itself. A show that obviously needs some help. Aaron Paul did not help enough with these ratings. So we got to we got to take every big swing we 
the royal we were definitely a part of the show and their creative process. We have to take every big swing imaginable. So thank you all for listening. It really means a lot to us. If you want to go the extra mile, you can follow us on SoundCloud. You can follow us on Twitter. And you can follow us on Stitcher, right? And Google Play as well. Ryan on Twitter is Westworld Ryan. I'm James Watches Men. Hilarious. I thought Watchmen was going to be more of a thing, and I feel the need to explain that every episode. Stop explaining it. You don't have to. <laughs> it was the It's the best Twitter name of all time. You know, be you. If you really, really no. want to go the extra mile. No. <laughs> hosting this audio costs money. Ryan and I eat that fee. But our patrons, who we've already shouted out, offset that cost quite a bit. And now, if you want to join the Westworld Podcast Patreon, you can get, as your benefits, you get access to our private Discord, where you can chat live with Ryan and I. You can get shouted out at the end of every episode, or towards the end of every episode, like today. And you can get access to our bonus content which we are still coming up with, but we're going to come out with some bonus episodes. Here's my pitch for our bonus content to start. Okay. Bi-weekly movie club, the pandemic movie club. Wow. We watch movies related to uh, quarantines and viral <laughs> outbreaks and everything that is a la mode yeah, that's what people. Today. That's what people want right now, <laughs> to be reminded of their awful reality in which... A terrible disease. Yeah, sure. You know what? Sure. I like I like yeah, your we, moxie. We, we, we laugh if not to cry. So yeah, join us on Patreon and you can peep those exclusive episodes for our patrons. You can live chat with us and get shouted out on the show. Oh yeah, I care about the Discord. I'm turning the notifications on, so <laughs> pretty intense. And you can fund our SoundCloud into infinity because we have a huge backlog of episodes that you can go through. We have a robot movie club and a Western movie club, and we did Game of Thrones and Watchmen, and all of that stuff is still online and being hosted thanks to our amazing patrons who are going to get live chat and exclusive bonus content. It looks like you're in the middle, like in the front of a conference room, and you're really saying those words, but with your hands, like making every word like exclusive bonus content. You see it here first, folks. Well, our followership is exploding recently, so yeah, what the heck? I want what is I want to give people more of an opportunity to engage with the show. Oddly enough, like our, the amount of listens isn't exploding, but we got twenty five new likes on Twitter in one day. Very confusing. So yeah, I would like to ask all our listeners and all our patrons and everybody who hears this: if you really want to do something for us, the most you could do is please recommend us to a friend. That would be awesome. Yeah. And thanks to the info that Spotify gives us, where you can also listen to us, uh, 60% of the audience isn't listening to the end part of this podcast anymore. So thanks for being around, 40%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll, maybe we'll front load some of this information next time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Join us next week when we recap and review Westworld Season 3, Episode 3, entitled The Absence of Field, directed by Amanda Marsalis and written by Denise Hey, coming back to write some more. Yeah. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast.